in one of the power packed verses of Kathopanishad, when Nachiketa, the young aspirant, asks Yama, the Lord of Death, O guardian of the law of the triple worlds, would you tell me something about the great being of whom you have been speaking, of whom you have been hinting? And Nachiketa has this to say that, O young and eager aspirant, you ask me of him in front of whom the sun has no luster, the moon and the stars shine there not, he of whom sages and heroes are the food, and I death myself am a spice in his banquet. I find myself in a similar situation to speak of Shirobindo, to speak of him today. One is so overwhelmed with all the love and the joy and the peace, and words fall flat. Even silence appears something less, because we stand in the mighty presence of a truth too vast for the human mind to comprehend, something which our human heart, a love that our human heart cannot behold, our speech cannot utter. In one of our very significant messages, the mother says, Who can understand Sri let alone talk about him. Who can understand Shurabindu? He is as vast as the universe, and his teaching is infinite. The only way to come a little close to him is to love him, and to give oneself unreservedly to his work. The only way to come a little close, the only way to know a little of him, by kind of identity of a little portion of his being, to love him. He is as vast as the universe. These are no mere words and sentiments and phrases. These are facts of his everyday inner life. Is it not he who wrote, I have wrapped the wide world in my wider self, and time and space my spirits seeing are? All nature is the nursling of my care. I am its struggle and the eternal rest. And he goes on to describe a similar experience of this kind in another poem. The best way to read his autobiographies through his poems and to Savitri. In another poem he speaks about, In me are the burning galaxies outlined. I am the universe, stupendous, whole. I am the life of the village and the continent. 
and the earth's agonies and her throb of bliss. I am its creature's sorrows and content. I feel the passage of every stab and kiss. Who could write about or speak about one who could see the divine not just as we saw in that beautiful film today, in the bar, in the bowl, in the judge, in the advocate, in the blanket, in the food in which he would eat and use it also for everything else. But someone who in the depths of darkness could tear all veils and reveal within its heart the divine presence. It is he in the sun who is ageless and deathless. And into the midnight his shadow is thrown when darkness was dense and covered within darkness he was seated within it immense and alone. The mystery of Shirdindo's birth is the mystery of God's birth in time. It is a symbol and a sign. His was a spirit that stooped from larger spheres into this province of ephemeral sight. His birth held up a symbol and a sign. His human self like a translucent cloak hid the all-wise guide who leads the unseen world. It's a symbol of the Divine Presence in matter. It's a sign that this Divine Presence will one day reveal itself despite all the blindness, all the obscurity, all the resistance, all the ill-will and all that stands up against the Divine Presence in this earth. This is a sign of His Presence. Why should the Divine be born on earth? What is the moment of His birth? If we cast just a hundred years back a look behind, we shall see something very interesting. Which way the tide of time was flowing, physical science, material science had proved that there is no God, and if there is one, He is nothing but a few molecules of hydrogen atom. Biology had proved us convincingly, it is perhaps still taught in some of the schools as a relic of the past, that man is a social animal. And psychology, with apologies to psychologists, had proved that man is nothing. He is a mask. God, what he calls as God is nothing but a mask over his animality. It is nothing but a sublimation of all that is base and low and ugly and animal. God is nothing but animal wearing a beautiful mask in man. This is hundred years back and we turn full circle and material science speaks of a theory of everything. It speaks of God in the electron and biological science begins to see in man 
more than just a social animal. In psychology, we have some very young entrepreneurs here who are who tell us that man is not a masked animal. He is not just a chained animal, but also a man named and frustrating God. There is a God inside who is imprisoned in the human heart. This is what psychologists are beginning to tell us. And how did the tide of time get turned through this dark period of the previous century? That is the all-wise guide who leads unseen this world. But it is not just mere guidance or just merely to change the tide of time. All that can be done by God, by the Divine Presence, through His instruments. There are many vibhutis, there are many saints and sages, there are yogis who could do that for man. Why should God descend in matter itself into its obscurity? Why should He choose to limit Himself, He the illimitable? Why should He choose to wear finite form and shape like us, He the infinite? And we have those beautiful lines. What is it that He is doing in this matter's night? He who would bring the heavens here must descend Himself into clay and the burden of earthly nature bear and tread the dolorous way, coercing my Godhead, I have come down into this solid earth, ignorant, laboring, human grown, fixed the gates of death and birth. I have been digging deep and long, middle horror of filth and mire, a bed for the golden river song, a home for the deathless fire. I have labored and suffered in matter's night to bring the fire to man. What does man return? But the hate of hell and the human spite are my need since the earth began. This is an old story being repeated, but in another way, from another vantage point, to take it one step further. Shirobindo belongs to the line of those great descents whom in India we term as the avatar. And there is a threefold work that he comes to do, which we find very beautiful in Shirobindo's work. One, he rescues all the truth of the past. This is called as rescuing the Vedas. He rescues all the essence, all the truth, all that has been done in the past, all that is of value yet to man, all that may yet liberate mankind, all that can still lead us towards the glories of the future. He rescues that. The second, he shows us the way of the present. How to look upon the present crisis and chaos, how to find a way out of it, how to deal with our everyday life, our relationships, our education, our children, science, art, all that at the present moment is so very valuable to man. His poetry, his computers, poetry is no more so valuable, perhaps it is in some quarters, but all that is valuable to man, how to use it as material 
for something more beautiful yet to come. But most of all, he comes to open a way to the future. This is the threefold work of the avatar, to rescue the best of the past, to give us a law, a dharma, a way of being for the present, and above all, to open a door through matter into the future. It is this threefold work which we find Shirobindo engaged, engaged in, but the one which most preoccupied and for the most part of his life was this part, I have labored and suffered in matter's night to bring the fire to man. Time and again, mother would see the supramental light descending into his body. We have these experiences documented. We read Narad, read the beautiful poem, The Golden Light. At another place, Shurabindra would tell us, talking of the yoga of Ashupati, he would tell us how the body's cells, they begin to open to that greater light and each now becomes a burning thread of joy and tissue and flesh partook beatitude. This was the everyday life of Shirobindo. When Shirobindo left his body, a disciple, a well-meaning disciple, with a penchant for truth perhaps, and perhaps as is the custom, wanted to give a message that as we all know, for 111 hours, Shubhindra's body was kept in state. Thousands of people passed by and the body was aglow with the supramental light. A golden light enveloped him and it remained without decay for almost 90 hours, nearly 100 hours. And even after that, the odor of death was not, not there at all. But the first signs had begun to appear, the light had begun to withdraw. And the disciple wrote, The mortal remains of Shurabindo will be interred into the Samadhi. And as was the training, as is the way of sadhana, he took the note to the mother to see if anything she would like to correct. And the mother took a pen, cut off the word mortal remains, added in the margin, there is nothing mortal about Shurabindo. Each cell of his body is lit with the immortal fire. Each cell of his body is lit by the immortal fire. It's very interesting. It's, we see it right when we go to Pondicherry. The significance of matter. Matter does not lie. It is said in the Vedas that there are two poles at which one finds the total truth. One in the superconscious place where the truth is self-manifest. The other at the other pole in matter where the truth is concealed. In all the midworlds there is half truth, half falsehood. When we go to Pancheri, in the vicinity of the ashram, the mind can lie. It tells us, looking at appearances, Oh, these are the disciples. I see, I see, I see. 
the vital can lie. Oh, this heat, this sultry weather, all this. Is this yoga? Is this the place? But the body sense and the soul does not lie. One goes near the samadhi and one is hit. Hit by something more concrete than matter. More powerful than the greatest power. Shurabindo once in one of his evening talks when he talks of the supermind he says it has a density stronger than the diamond and yet it is absolutely plastic. What human mind can understand this? Something that is so strong, something that is so plastic, something that is self-aware of itself. All these are words and phrases but we can approach him with love. This, this is how the his very body was surcharged with this light, with this truth, with this force, which continues to radiate from the Samadhi and from places where his relics have gone. Of course, the institution of relics is not new. It is there in the tradition. There is a very... and there are two sides to it. Of course, the modern mind is very skeptic of all these institutions, of all these forms and ceremonies and rituals. And quite naturally, because we are breaking free from a past whose molds have become encrusted into dead formulas, where ritual has taken the place of the spiritual, and forms have occupied prominence over the spirit, and human mind must break free from all that. Yet, even when we break free, we must preserve the spirit and the essence, as Shirvanda would tell us. And behind the occult tradition, or the tradition of the relics, is the occult truth that matter does not lie. Shirvanda tells us that if a yogi picks up a sword in one of his writings, he says if a yogi were to pick up a sword, just by feeling it, he can say, what was it used for hundreds of years back? It carries the imprint right into the very physical. And this is an ordinary sword used by ordinary mortals. It is nothing special about it. And a yogi could discern just by touching it. The mother could feel an object and say, where did it come from? When someone gave to her a bead and asked her, mother, could you tell us something about it? She said, this does not belong to the world of matter. This is, this is a dematerialized object. Touching the bead in her hand, she could say where this comes from. It is the limit of her sight and the limit of her mind. But the limit of her sight are not the limit of light and truth. So there is an occult truth behind the tradition of relics. But there is a still deeper truth, a subtler truth. We see it beautifully in the story, one in very ancient Indian legend, the story of Sati. The legend goes that she was consort Sati. She is called by one of the formatures, Daksha Prajapati, one of those beings who presides over the formation of a particular age and runs the cycles. 
and she he calls his daughter Sati but denies passport and visa to Shiva so Sati goes there Shiva says look we are one being this is not correct if you are denied an entry if you are given an entry Shiva also must accompany they are symbol of nature and her lord so nature without the lord is allowed entry into daksha's kingdom but sati goes never to nevertheless tries to convince him that look you must call shiva and an argument ensues and sati jumps into the fire and sacrifices her body sure enough by that great sacrifice shiva the eternal forces his entry gate crashes through the worlds as a thunder and a roar and he picks up sati's body and moves around the world carrying in himself the agony and the sorrow of the world a world that denies the divine a world that has rejected the eternal and as he goes and as his agony fills the earth vishnu the great preserver he sees the creation would come to a halt if this continues so as the legend goes part by part he dismembers sati's body and it falls at different places now as it happens these places become the power spots the shakti sthal the seat of shakti why are they called as seat of shakti because these spots it is said where sati's body's body fell have become seats where within earth the agony of sati the sacrifice of sati the aspiration of sati to bring the eternal is embedded and to go to these places is to receive a touch of that agony a touch of that aspiration a touch of that light of that call to the eternal that is why they are called seats of shakti these relics are not just some parts of shirvindu's body they are surely not meant to just perpetuate a tradition to keep alive through a tradition some form of the past or some remembrance of shirvindu the mother who broke free from all traditions who gave this beautiful prayer to the children of the school make of us the hero warriors we aspire to become may we fight successfully the great battle of the future that seeks to be born against the past that seeks to endure may we be ready for the new things that are waiting to manifest she would not send the relics she started the institution of relics if we may use the word institution she would not send the relics if it was merely to perpetuate a tradition not only did she send the relics she took great great care it was as if shirvindu himself was going it is said and this is a strange and interesting coincidence if we may say so for there is nothing really coincidence and of course there were another incidents which i came to know that why the relics were coming here 
and in Paris there was a uh, talk about opening the relics box and screening going through the x-ray screening and lo and behold they happened to find someone who was from Pondicherry. It's not relics we were carrying, it is Shurabindu who was carrying everyone. And while the discussion I think last year were going on regarding the date of the relics and everyone was thinking 24th April or a special Darshan day and after a long discussion it happened that 19th April is good because it's a weekend and it's perfect, everything worked out on 19th April. And I just came to know while in the ashram that 19th April was the date when the first relics other than Delhi were sent in India and that happened to be Odisha. So things are sanctioned long before, we have to only discover them. So she was not starting the, the journey of the relics just to keep alive a tradition. In fact, there were places when relics were sent, she would say that, well, this Shurabindu must receive a state honor. And even now in Orissa and some places of India, when relics come, there is a state honor which is given. When relics reach a place, just reaching the place, I have been involved in few relics coming from Pondicherry and I can recount one of them when the relics were being carried to Madhya Pradesh to an obscure village in Madhya Pradesh, Khandwa. Nobody has heard, even in India people don't know where it is. And relics were taken to this place and I was there with just four other members in the AC compartment in the train. None of us could afford a plane ticket and we were carrying the relics. And we had to stop at a place called Itarsi. Again, no one has heard it. And from there they were to be carried to this other place on a jeep. Now we were very beautifully seated inside and in a nice atmosphere, just the five of us. Some people around who naturally out of curiosity would do pranam and go away and you know some would ask what is it. And the train stopped and I was carrying the relics. As before I could step out there was a commotion. So I stepped back. I thought I don't know whether there is a riot going on or what. Whether I should step out with the relics or not. And there were people with malas and everything. The local administrative head had come. He had come to know about the relics. And there was a proper reception with guns going into the air because Sherwinder is coming. And tears streamed out of our eyes. They were not relics. We knew it, but we realized that what it means is not just portions of his body, it is a portion of the divine embodiment. It is the physical atmosphere of Shurabindo coming to us. If you know what that means, to those of us who have been privileged to feel that physical atmosphere in the vicinity of the ashram, 
and how it envelops all creatures there. It is his physical atmosphere, something of himself which comes here. And that is the spirit that we must receive it with. As Dakshina said with joy and gratitude, with all the humility that we can command, with all the sincerity at our disposal, with all the gratitude that we can summon, it is Shurabindu who comes to us. And it is Shurabindu who is not chosen to reside in this, again, if I may say, small and obscure place of Lodai. He has a penchant for working in the small and the obscure. <laughs> and if every night we go to sleep in San Francisco, or in any of the nearby places, in Fremont, other places, and we remember Shirobindo is there, just about a hundred miles physically present. If when we go back to our places in New York and other places from where people have come, we can remember that he has come to this country to stay with us, to stay in our midst. What does it mean to us? How would we respond if Shirobindo comes? Would we plan, think, calculate, conceive, philosophize, read the life divine, brush our shoes, wear the best dress, or just rush like the gopis of old? Krishna calls and all that they know is the fruit. They don't know what they are wearing. They don't know what hour is it. They don't know whether it's good or bad. They don't know what society will tell us. Oh, another group of people, another sect is forming, another religion or cult. All these words fall flat when the heart senses and the soul sees and the body feels and knows. It is a grace to come in touch and contact with the embodied divine. And who knows when time will look back through the lens of history, maybe years later, maybe decades later, maybe centuries later, when man will have eyes to see and a heart to feel, he would look back and say, the great revolutions that began in this country and spread to the earth, momentous events that happened, they started with a small little seed and a sapling that was sown by nobodies in a little place called Lodai. Who knows? History is not written by historians. Historians only see it through a lens. It's so strange that everything is washed away and yet truth remains. 
we just read beautiful lines of Savitri. It's amazing, we don't know which year Savitri was born. Many centuries, millenniums, perhaps a million years have come and gone, and Savitri is still alive. That is the kind of tapasya Shurdhana and the mother have done to us. And what we receive today is a little prashad of his tapasya. Are we ready to greet him with open arms, to welcome him? And how do we greet him? We have just said what Mother has said. The only way is to love him and to give him unreservedly. And to give ourselves unreservedly to his love. In this gesture of self-giving, to just melt into his arms. That is how we can greet him. That is how we can welcome him. And that agony of the earth, that aspiration of the earth, which Shirdu embodied, and the response of the Supreme, the grace of the Supreme, the light and truth of the supramental consciousness, which also Shirdu embodied, that would be communicated as a contagion into the very physical stuff of our beings. The language that alone we understand, the language of matter, and through contagion to this city, and through a deeper contagion to this country, and through each other, to the entire earth. Let me pause. It's an overwhelming day. Let me pause with some lines from Savitri which invite us to this great adventure. O force driven, O force compelled, fate driven, earth born race, and prisoners of a dwarf humanity, how long shall you tread the circling tracks of mind around your little self and petty things, but not for a changeless littleness where you meant, not for vain repetition where you built. This transient earthly being, if he so wills, can fit his acts to the transcendent scheme. He who now stares at the world with ignorant eyes can fill those orbs with the immortal's light. A seer, a strong creator is within. The immaculate grandeur broods upon your days. Almighty powers are shut in nature's cells. Thank you.